Hello everyone and welcome back to the channel. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on a streaming service, this is Vocal Arts with Peter Barber. Just recently I had the immense joy to speak with Big Brev, the most viral man on Instagram right now. Absolutely nutty. His following has gone from, I think he told me, like 5,000 at the start of summer to almost 600,000 as I record this introduction. Absolutely crazy. Dude has an amazing voice, was a very well-trained opera singer, pivoted towards teaching, and then recently has gotten into this short-form content showing how he can sing any style, any style of music, and has the craziest vocal range. And you get to learn why he is so fluent in so many styles of singing in the interview. It was a really great chat, and really at first we just kind of wanted to meet each other. He reached out to me about it, and I was like, hey dude, why don't we just turn it into a podcast? I'd love to have you on the channel. So. Uh, we chatted for a while on the episode, then we chatted for a while afterwards, and uh, truly, I would say, became friends. So, Big Rev, shout out to you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Guys, please sit back and enjoy this this awesome conversation with a bunch of crazy different different turns in it. I know you will have fun, have fun with it. So, please welcome Danny Brevik, a.k.a. Big Brev. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the channel and or podcast. I'm here with Big Brev. And I'm actually going to pass the baton over to him and allow him to introduce himself and let y'all know what he's up to these days. What's up, everyone? So, uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, so yeah, I'm Big Brev. Uh, people call me Danny. People call me Brev. Um, so yeah, I'm a I'm a singer. I'm a bass baritone. Um, I'm also a voice teacher. I also absolutely love to spend time with my golden retriever, uh, training him, playing games with him. Uh, I have a beautiful wife, uh, Jen. We live in Massachusetts. Uh, you know, I, I love doing uh, DIY home renovations. Uh, I love animals. I love all sorts of like cool, cool hobbies like that, weightlifting. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's about that. Jack of all trades. Sure. Well, we'll do probably, we're definitely going to talk about fitness at some point. We'll get the uh, we'll get the music boxes all checked first. So I'm actually curious, sure. what is like, where did your formal training actually start? Like, I believe you did go to like undergrad for opera. Um, so like, where, what what is your actual background in in musical training? All right, so yeah, I, I mean, I was self taught up to a to a point. Um, <clears throat> probably, I guess most of us are, but I started singing really like in a high chair. We have whole movies of me singing and nonsense syllables, like decent tuning, decent rhythm. Uh, so I kind of followed that really throughout um, middle school. I got really into singing in middle school. Uh, I was I was mimicking an Anne Murray commercial, like like from beginning to end with all the commentary, like like all, all the inflections and everything. I was really good at that. And I went I went into school one day in seventh grade, and I did the whole commercial for my class. And everyone was cracking up because they were like, dude, that's spot on. Because it was like a commercial that was playing on Nickelodeon like all the time at the time. Everyone had seen it. And so they got our chorus teacher into the classroom and they were like, you got to hear him sing. Like they, they didn't really know that I could sing. So I sang that whole commercial for her and she immediately got me into chorus. And at that point in my life, uh, I had very bad grades. Like I was totally like, like a delinquent. I was a troublemaker. Um, I didn't have really a whole lot going for me. So luckily I found singing and that turned into my anchor really from that point forward uh when i when i like went on to high school 
um, that chorus teacher, her name was Miss Stinson. She she formed a, a group for those kids that were kind of going on, um, that were moving on so that they could still work with her. And she formed a community group and that got me singing literally any genre you can think of. Uh, classic rock, country, jazz, Disney songs, um, R&B, everything. Christmas songs, Josh Groban song, not a whole lot of opera, but like kind of getting into classical, I guess, via Josh Groban and that, that, that kind of thing. After that, I went to high school. I did Allstate, um, regionals. Uh, I did chorus there. Um, and that was when my, 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 my chorus teacher there was also a great mentor for me, Mr. Britton. He, he asked me one day, Hey, what do you want to do with your life? Like I, I was still kind of a troublemaker at the time. Like I still goofed off a lot. I was the kid that sat in the back of the class, didn't do a whole lot, but would randomly break out into song. And like my teachers would, would like, they supported it. You know what I mean? Like they knew like, yeah, Danny, he's, he's not doing probably that great in class, but man, he can sing, you know? And so they like, they, they let me have that. And so Mr. Britton sat me down after we had just done like a run of into the woods. And he was like, you know, you got a lot of potential in this. Uh, what do you want to do? And I was like, I think I, I think I want to sing. I mean, that's the most obvious thing. So he, at that time, I already missed all the auditions for colleges pretty much. So he got me in, in his room. He, he made a few phone calls. He called UMass and he called Plymouth State University because I, I had taken some interest in that just because a lot of my friends were going there. And he called him up and he said, hey, I have a, I have a young man here who's, who's got a hell of a voice and uh, he missed your deadline. Is there any chance you could hear him? And they were like, definitely a guy. Yeah, get him up. So, okay. uh, a so I did that. A base? Yeah, right. <laughs> and I went to, uh, I went to UMass and I, I, um, I sang like a few Frank Sinatra songs with a karaoke track, with a CD karaoke, I had no sheet music, I had no idea what I was doing. And I left there with like a full ride scholarship offer. So I was feeling pretty good, man. I was like, oh, nice. I, I, this is all falling into place. And then I went up to Plymouth State and I fell in love with the campus, the program. I got to see a musical. I just thought, oh my God, this is the place. So the, the audition rolls up. I pull out that little CD. And they're like, so what are you going to sing? And I pull up my CD and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sing uh, some. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's that? I'm like, that's my uh, karaoke CD. And they're like, we don't do karaoke CDs. And I was like, uh-oh. Um, oh, I got. <laughs> that's what I got. So then they had to like run around the building trying to find one of those little purple circular boom boxes that like from like the early 2000s. And uh, luckily someone had one in their room. They brought it down and I auditioned with a, a few francs, I think it was like Fly Me to the Moon. For my uh, classical piece, I sang Amazing Grace. Um, and then they asked if I sang anything in Italian. And I said, uh, Time to Say Goodbye by Andrea Bocelli. And I didn't really know it. I kind of knew it. Like, I certainly didn't have a track for it. Um, well, need to say, I got into the program. Um, I didn't get a lot of scholarship. And so then it turned into, should I go to UMass or Plymouth? No, I loved Plymouth. That was the thing. So uh, we ended up deciding to go to Plymouth, where I focused on musical theater, singing, and you know general music. Uh, I will say this: even at Plymouth, I was a little bit of a delinquent, except for when it came to my singing and like getting through the courses I really needed to get through. All those gen eds, I was kind of like, meh. That wasn't. I, it was very obvious that I'm a singer, and this is anything that has to do with making sounds, music. It's like sign me up. So uh, at that point, I wasn't doing opera, though. So uh, and I didn't have an operatic voice really at all. That was probably the one genre that I hadn't explored. 
and when you heard me sing you, you didn't necessarily think opera um so like there was a few voice teachers on faculty there at Plymouth that kind of heard it and um I, I did I did a voice lesson with um with a guy named Charles Stanton and he sang like an aria for me and he was like just just try to do it like that and so I just mimicked him and I did it and he was like dude are you kidding that's opera you're an opera singer I was like, <laughs> I was like all right so I just started singing like that I was just mimicking him for a while um he ended up leaving going to another university so like I bounced around a few studios and I wasn't really finding my jam at that point, but my anchor at that point was vocal order, my acapella group. So like I originally got into acapella because like high end of sound came to our school and they did a concert and I was just blown away. So I was like, I got to do acapella and vocal order was the group that was the male group at the time. And so I got into that and, and that's where I really established my stage presence. I think my, my comfort in my body, I always had like a discomfort cause I'm six, five, I'm, I'm a big guy. And I always would close off. And that was probably where I learned not to do that. I got really comfortable in my own skin through vocal order and then eventually Vineyard Sound, which is another acapella group from Martha's Vineyard. And um, in that, we used to we used to do Zombie Jamboree um, by Rockapella. And at the end, there's like some shtick where we like mimic an opera singer. And like, that was like my thing, man. Like I, we, when we sang at opera, we all would hold like this high note and then they would cut us off but I wouldn't cut out. Everyone would cut out except for me. And I just, I hold this high note. I don't remember what it was. And then they would pretend to like blow dart me and they'd go like, and I'd be like, oh! and, I'd, and I'd like fall over. I was like, shtick, you know, acapella shtick. And like it, the audience seemed to really dig that. And so it was just kind of a obvious decision at that point. Like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna follow this. Yeah. yeah that, so that... I would say that's really where I got my training was like, just through that, um, my voice teacher, at Plymouth State that I worked with for the last two years was uh, Dr. Kathleen Arecki and her and I got like incredibly close. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Man. Okay. Well, that's because you're definitely known as someone that can bounce between genres really fluently as a singer. And so now hearing your whole upbringing and your background, it makes so much sense. Because right. usually, and I'm sure you know this, people who train primarily as opera singers and like first and foremost as opera singers really struggle to sing other genres if they're really formally trained in opera as a first. So I always wondered for you, because I, for some reason, I thought opera was your, your main thing, like the whole way up. And so now it makes so much more sense that you're like, you can absolutely like rip in all these different genres and you're not kind of held back by the, the sometimes like that formality that's baked into sure. the opera training. Sure. So, I mean, like when I was like a little kid though, I would just come up with all my own, exercises you know we, we we didn't have a lot of money growing up um voice lessons weren't even an option uh but and i don't even i didn't really think i wanted them i just loved making up my own sounds and i would just do them all the time like i got home from school i had a paper route so i would do the papers and then i would go home and i had the house to myself and i would just always make sounds that's just that was a big thing with me i was a loud kid always just making weird sounds like i would I would just hear it like a, a bike horn and I would do it. I'd hear like the whipped cream and I'd mimic that. And I'd hear, you know, whatever the sound was, I was like, I have to make that sound. If I couldn't do it, I would just hammer it over and over again until I could. And one sound that I loved was my low falsetto because there was like a lot of um, a lot of characters, like, you know, Disney characters or whatnot, like Pooh Bear, uh, people like that that would speak. And so I would, I would work on that all the time. Like this, like low falsetto sound. Like I, I really, I thought it was funny. So like, I used to it do is like, weird it is still funny. I used to do weird things like that 
all the time. And I, I... <laughs> right. Yeah. That guy from family guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. he's uh, was... <laughs> Right. Right. So I think I was kind of like, I was really self-taught to a degree before I even started getting like, like more than most people, I think. Yeah. If you, if you just, if you just showed up and just, like got a full like I didn't get any scholarship for undergrad. I was dog shit at opera when I when I first went to school. It's just like right. all training. I sang a well, bunch, was... but, but but definitely was not was not full ride for classical voice worthy at that time. So that wasn't a classical program. That was a jazz program. It was vocal jazz. Okay, that's probably uh, what I should have auditioned for at that point. Yeah, I actually right. I actually did a jazz singing group in high school. Okay, that was like I didn't. Know I that. did like jazz and sang like Backstreet Boys, and aside from that, it was just sports. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sick. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember those days. Yeah. I used to sing a lot of Backstreet Boys, too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, dude. So much fun. Okay. So, so undergrad and then, but you, you've done, you went from there to doing more of like the formal opera path, right? Like you did some young artist programs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like so, that. like, so I mentioned that I was working with Dr. Arecki. Um, so she was, she was great, man. Like, like she was, she was unbelievable. She used to sign me in to competitions without even asking me. And then would just be like, Oh, by the way, like we signed you into this. And like, she, she even bought me like plane tickets sometimes to these. And, uh, one year, Cheryl Milnes was, uh, judging a, like a versatility singing competition. He was one of the judges. I, I forget who the other judges were, but they had, they tried to get categories from different genres. And she thought that was right up my, like, like right in my wheelhouse. Cause I got to show off the different genres. And I got to meet Cheryl Milnes and I won, I didn't win, but I won the people's choice award. And I got to work with Cheryl Milnes in a master class. And in that master class, he, um, he asked me if, if I had signed in to the Boston Nats competition and that competition changed my life. Uh, so I sang handles, handles Messiah, uh, thus saith the Lord for him. And, you know, uh, who may have I, the aria that follows. And I did that at, you know, Boston Nats and I, and I, I won first place and in the audience was uh, a few schools, uh, Rutgers, NEC and Westminster Choir College. And I got into all those schools because of that competition. But NEC gave me a huge, huge scholarship plus a stipend. And so like that competition just completely rerouted my life. It was like it was kind of crazy because at the time I wasn't in a situation probably to graduate because I didn't do my piano um, uh, proficiency. And so they had to rewrite my degree to take that out so that I could go to NEC. So like they, they had to like play with the, the degree a little bit. So I didn't get the actual, the same degree that you would have got had you done the piano proficiency. They worded it a little differently just so I could get the scholarship and go to NEC. And um, it, it was like, it was a really, it was a really uh, important time in my life. Like the president of the school at Plymouth State, uh, her and the and the provost, they chipped in and got me a tuxedo as like a gift. Like it was my first tuxedo because I never had like a nice one, and uh, it was a nice little send off to to send me it into like the conservatory world. And then when I got to NEC, um, obviously, I mean, you've been to institutions very similar to NEC. Well, where did where did you go? I did uh, Miami for a bit, University of Miami, then finished at okay. James Madison, Virginia, masters at USC in Los Angeles, and then Academy of Vocal Arts in Philly. Oh yeah, well yeah, okay, okay. So you know, the whole you thing. know even more than I know what those <laughs> institutes—they're they're so intense, aren't they? Oh yeah, oh yeah, dude. Oh man, they're nuts, especially like that first week. You're like, did, yo, did what you, have you, I gotten myself into? Did, Academy of Vocal Arts in Philly is the ultimate version of that. 
That's the ultimate. I know. The ultimate. I, yeah. I've known I've known people who went through. They're always absolute beasts of singers. Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh man, the best. Well, that's that's incredible. Uh, NEC's not quite like that, but it's it's a great school though. Yeah, and um, let's see. That was in twenty eleven. Two oh, yeah, two thousand eleven. I was there twenty eleven through twenty thirteen, and um, my coach while I was there was um steven lord have you heard of steven lord i have yeah all right and I, i'm assuming i know why you've heard of steven lord um uh because he th this was long before there were any any of that type of thing but um yeah yeah yeah. he was my coach mentor conductor he worked with me a lot like and he was really really hard on me like um mm -hmm. he didn't pick a lot of students to work with and he he would he would kind of play like almost like mind games with us, like the people he was working with. He'd really build you up in front of a group, like in front of all of my peers, like everyone in my class. He would point me out and be like, yeah, someday Danny's going to be a famous opera singer. He would say stuff like that, like in, in class. And like, it was always like, oh man, I feel great. But then once we had a coaching, it was like, oh man, I'm just, I suck. <laughs> it was his way of trying to get me to, to really push myself to just be as good as I possibly could. And, um, and so he coached me for those two years and and I, I also did a, like I did a few shows there they they they, uh, they did a good job kind of building a program around who they had and I, and I got featured quite a bit and then uh and then I auditioned for the Opera Theater of St. Louis uh, right before I graduated and it was the year that Stephen Lohr was going on sabbatical so he wasn't he, he was the music director at OTSL at the time but he was on sabbatical my year where I was auditioning so when I auditioned like he was in the room but he didn't have final say on who was getting in and so I sang Thus saith the Lord again, which they told us they really didn't want us to sing, you know, oratorio. They wanted opera, but it was still my best aria. So that's what I offered. And uh, I got waitlisted. And I was crushed. So I emailed, you know, Stephen Lord. And I was just like, Maestro, thank you so much for the opportunity. What a great learning experience. You know, unfortunately, uh, it's not going to happen this year, but but still, it was a great learning experience. And he, and he texted me back. and He's like, you didn't get in. What do you mean you didn't get in? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I didn't get in. And all of a sudden, five minutes later, I got in. I was in. <laughs> all of a sudden, I was in. And I'll tell you, man, not getting in, it put a huge chip on my shoulder because I was like, this company didn't really want me. And so everything that I had lined up at NEC for that semester, I canceled, which I don't think NEC was too happy with. Like, I, I denied the role they offered me. I denied my master's recital. I said, I'll do it next year. I'm focusing on OTSL, OTSL only, nothing but my music for OTSL, because I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be a beast. And I showed up for our like Pirates of Penzance choir rehearsal that first week. We're all scared, man, because it's Young Artist Program. It's OTSL. It's one of the greatest ones in the world. Um, but I was off book. I was like, I'm ready. And everyone else was not off book, you know, which is fine. That's normal, right? But James Robinson, our director, came in and was like, you know, just going to let you guys know we're, we're running early. We, we, we got to get into staging a lot sooner so we're going to be starting staging i think like in two days or something and i was like all right this is my chance this is my opportunity to prove to them that like they picked the right guy um so i went in there off book pirates penzance you know it's a comedic comedic show you got to ham it up you got to have a good sense of humor you know those those are all i check all those boxes i think and uh i, I mean i definitely did like I, I really brought it um I came up with like our police walk. They were all cracking up with this walk I was doing. It was like this like funny, like Charlie Chaplin type walk. And they ended up having everyone do it. Like they were like, everyone watch Danny, Danny, do it again, do it again. <laughs> Hold on, now do it again. And they're like having everyone do my walk. Like, like that was like what set the tone for me 
was like this experience in Pirates of Penzance very early on. And at the end of that season, they apologized for me for waitlisting me. Um, and they said, we want you to audition for like a big role for next year. And so I was auditioning for someone that I honestly had never heard of. And I went in, I sang all my arias and I left and I called my, my girlfriend at the time. She's not my wife, Jen. And I was like, yeah, I was singing for this guy. His name is Ricky Ian Gordon. And she was like, what? That's Ricky Ian Gordon. He, he wrote a lot of the music I did at my master's recital. I was like, really? I was like, well, I'm glad I didn't know that going in there. Cause you know, I knocked him dead. Like I had a great audition. And so a few weeks later, they, um, they reach out and they said, Hey, we were really impressed with your audition. Uh, we're going to write a role for you. Uh, we're gonna have Ricky Ian Gordon, write it. Um, you're going to play Ernest Hemingway slash Henri Matisse in this new opera called 27. It was about the life of Gertrude Stein about her salon. And, uh, and you're going to play a big role. It was I had my own aria, had a, a few duets, a few trios, a bunch of, a bunch of like smaller, like choral type parts. Um, so, and, and, uh, and, and then it came out that our Gertrude Stein was Stephanie Blythe and Stephanie Blythe was someone that like, I used to watch at like Met HD productions, you know, that was how I knew of her, like she's famous. Right. And here I am, I'm going to be sharing the stage with her. That was absolutely mind boggling. And then even a few weeks later, I got a message from them saying, Hey, we're, we're, you're going to be on the cover of opera news. We're going to, we're going to be on the cover for this. So, like, and now we're making a CD and we're going to have the St. Louis symphony orchestra playing this, the, the orchestra part in that. And dude, I was in this for, this was like three, four months into my professional career. Like I was, I mean, I, I was terrified. Like I was excited, but like at the same time, I mean, I had a lump in my throat and I was terrified. I felt like a huge imposter, a big time imposter syndrome. Um, but I got after it, you know, I mean, I, I completely just got after it. That's all I did really that year was focus on 27, coaching it up. I spent all my money that I, that I had to my name on getting it coached. Um, I hired uh, my coach, his name was Damien. I had him uh, make me a study guide, like rehearsal track that I would constantly just listen to. At that point, I really wasn't that good at reading music. I kind of coasted without it. So like I was really depending on Damien a lot at that point, um, but I got it memorized. Sorry, what was that? Were you at NEC the next year while you were prepping for the main stage at OTSL? So you were no, done. So you were, I, so you were freelance I was done. hanging out. Yeah, okay. dude. And like, honestly, I wished that I had, in hindsight, I should have done a graduate diploma. Um, definitely, you, you know, because I was still like a little kid and at heart. Like I wasn't put together at all. I didn't have a lot of money saved up. I wasn't one of those like well put together people at that time. Um, I was like, like living out of my 2015, you said this was 2013 or after, yeah, 2013, okay. like going into 2014. Um, so okay. this was right after the 2013 season. And like, I was kind of like living out of my car between my girlfriend's parents' house, my mom's basement. Like I was just, I was a mess. I should have definitely tried to get into a graduate diploma. Um, but I didn't. Um, I just, I roughed it and I worked on NEC and then I, I took odd jobs. I've always, I've always had odd jobs. Like I, I worked on boilers, furnaces. I worked as a carpenter. I've worked in, uh, for my, in my dad's auto body shop. Like I've always taken odd jobs. And so I kind of just did that for a while, while I was learning 27 and, uh, showed up, did 27 and we just, I mean, we knocked it out of the park, man. Like we got great reviews. Like, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great it was a great way to start a career. That's for sure. Like it was kind of mind boggling. Yeah. 
yeah, no kidding. I mean, where did it where did it go from there? I mean, what came in as a result of of that performance? Yeah. So, well, they hired me again for the next year. Um, actually, in that 2014 year, uh, that was the year we did 27. Um, Liz Jaroff was there that year. That was where I met her. I saw her on your podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah dude. I met her. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Uh, we actually we sang at a few galas together in St. Louis too. It's cool when these paths kind of cross. And Amazing. now she's obviously like like she's like the most famous YouTuber right now. It's like yeah, she she dipped <laughs> she dipped on the opera world. Yeah, yeah, right. She uh, yeah, she's a savage. Um, so anyways, yeah, it led to uh. It led to me going back the next year, plus a whole slew of concerts. And like, I got invited to their board meetings at OTSL. Um, I, I was singing for their galas. They had me do a ton of outreach where I would like visit the schools in like Ferguson, Missouri. Um, actually, we should get back to that at some point because that, that also kind of got me going in another direction. Um, and yeah, so like, so I did that. And then I went back and I did Tobias Picker's Emmeline. I played Pastor Avery and that was a bass, bass role. So like very bassy. I think it only went up to like middle C. And uh, so I didn't even warm up that whole summer. Like it was like, I'm not even warming up because sometimes you lose the bottom when you, when you have the top. And uh, it was one of those, it was a, that would, that was a very fun summer because it was, you know, it was a principal role, uh, but it wasn't like huge. So you had a lot of like free time. You could work out a lot. You could get into like some other hobbies. Yeah. Yeah. That, I will say that. OTSL, all I did was work out. It's like when I wasn't when I wasn't on stage and like or in, in like rehearsal, it was like the gym was right there. It was pretty sweet. It was, the yeah, dream. It was a good time. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a, it was a great job. And rehearsal didn't start till ten a.m. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Okay, so that's like so now that summer would be twenty fifteen, I think, if I'm yep. if I'm counting properly. So that leaves eight years from then till now. Yep. But what has your opera career looked like? And then I'm really interested to hear how the pandemic affected everything because it affected everyone in that career. Oh, big yeah. Time. Big time. All right. So let's see. I want to get this timeline right. Um, after that, I went back to, again, living out of my car slash my girlfriend's parents' house slash my mom's basement. Uh, still didn't really have a whole, like, a whole great idea of what I wanted to do. But those outreach performances I was talking about, um, we went to Ferguson and i remember we started with um opera at these like schools in ferguson like these performances it was supposed to be like you know spreading the joy of music to like these inner city you know low-income schools it was really it was like during um the, the like height of the ferguson black lives matter movement mm. so it was a very important time to be there and i remember we started with um i think actually we started with uh some figaro we um it was a uh, which is like not going to be their jam. And I knew it wouldn't, it wasn't going to be. And I got slow clapped. They started slow clapping. I was like, they're slow clapping. So I stopped. I like cut, cut, cut us all off. And I was like, you guys don't want to hear opera, do you? Like, boo, no. I was like, all right. So I just started busting out. Um, I swear by all for one, just busted out some R and B and they immediately ate it up ate it up and i was like and i was like all right so now we're going to talk about riffs and we're going to compare them to melisma's like in my handle aria and what's that it's like the i'll give you everything i can like that little melisma there and i was like anytime i do a melisma or like a melisma i'm going to do this with my finger i can and then i would hop into the messiah and anytime i did a melisma like and thus at the lord it's filled with them I mean, you know the oh arias. yeah it's so, huge yeah that one's a little while. and I will shake 
And I was like, I did, I busted into that. And they were like, yeah, we got it. They were so pumped. They got it. And like, Amazing. so then, then we, we, we went through jazz. I like threw a, a, a Sinatra piece in there. Um, and the coolest part about all that was that Tim O'Leary was there, who was the artistic director for OTSL. Like he got to see that. And like Tim O'Leary, he's my guy. Like I love Tim O'Leary. He's now, he's at Washington National Opera. But that was like the beginning of my like friendship with, with him. Um, so sorry, I got sidetracked. Anyways, in 2015, I wanted to do more of that, but I wanted to bring it to third world countries. So I hired Damien again to make me a whole accompaniment track to bring with me to third world countries. I, I brought like a Bluetooth speaker and a, C, a little CD player. And I, I like had that with me in my backpack. And I guess it wasn't a Bluetooth speaker. I, I don't even think I had those back then. So it was just me backpacking through third world um, like countries. I started in Moldova because my buddy was there in Peace Corps and he was able to get a few gigs set up for me just because he had connections through Peace Corps. I did, I think like four concerts there. And then he and I, and one other friend, Greg, um, Quinn and Greg were with me for this. We went to Vietnam, which was like crazy we, to get to Vietnam from Moldova. Dude, you'd never guess. There's, there, there isn't a, a direct flight from Moldova to Vietnam. <laughs> uh, we had to go from Moldova to uh, Moscow. We didn't have visas and it was an 18 hour layover in Moscow, which was brutal. And then from Moscow to Abu Dhabi for 13 hours, again, no visa. And then from Abu Dhabi to Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. And we got out, it was midnight and we didn't have a place to stay. It was like, we didn't have a hotel. We were, we're in the middle of Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam with, with no idea what we're doing. So we're, we're like flagging down like motorbike taxis and like, yo, we got, we need to find a place to stay that they didn't speak English. So I'm like, hotel, hostel, hotel. And they're like, oh, hostel, like, hop on. I like, hop on the back of like these motorbikes with this huge backpack and we like, we're buzzing through Ho Chi Minh City. And so I did a whole concert tour there uh, through Vietnam, up up to the north, all the way up to Hanoi, then back down through to um, into Cambodia. I went to Siem Reap, Phnom Penh, and then into Bangkok. And I was just singing the whole time. I would take any gig I could get. And I was just I, like, one point we were in Northern Vietnam and Sapa, Vietnam. It's like way up north, it's gorgeous. And we hiked into like the mountains where it's just like hill tribe people. And like there were a bunch of little kids running around, you know, they're all like naked and stuff. And so we just get off our bikes and I go into the middle of this village and like everyone's like shaking our hands because they never seen like big white dudes before. And like it was it was a profound probably experience for them, too. And I just started singing. I sang like some enchanted evening and then I went into um Wad Balade. I, I think I sang Oduman Holda Abendstern. I was like singing like arias and then I started singing some Sinatra. And like I had a whole whole audience for that, like, and they were all people that had probably never heard anything remotely close to that ever, and and so I, I kind of went down that route where I was like, I just want to do a lot of this outreach and just singing for anyone who who might not get to experience this otherwise. And it started with Tim O'Leary having me do those programs in St. Louis. Did yeah. that flesh out to like a, a formal thing, or did you just do that for a while and then and then come back to the states and? Didn't didn't turn into a formal thing. After that, I came back. I had no more money because I spent it all traveling. Because uh, again, I was still kind of a mess. And I was I had just gotten back from that trip, and I'm driving on the highway, and I get a phone call from Dan Novak. Do, do you know him? I've heard the he name, the, but what, what's he, he where's the, he at? He was the artistic director, I believe, at um at uh, Lyric Opera Chicago. Sure. Yeah. And um yeah, I get a phone call from him, 
And I'm like, yo, hold on. I, I got to pull over. Like, hold on. <laughs> Dan Novak. I pull over. And he's like, hey, um, we want to fly you out in a couple of days to be a finalist in the Ryan Opera Center, uh, you know, Young Arts Program. I was like, uh, yeah, all right. I didn't even audition for that. Like, okay, I'll do it. So I flew out and I did not sound good. <laughs> I'll just say that. Like, a lot of my friends were like, dude, you were great. You were epic. You were so good. But I didn't get in. And then they told me I was flat. And I was like, yeah, I bet I was because I've been like in Vietnam. <laughs> For the last three months like <laughs> three months of, oh my god yeah that's way, that's way too much time off from like yeah the, keeping the opera in shape yeah man and like <laughs> i was singing and doing all that but it's different it's just different like it's you're different. rough in it and dude i had gotten so sick in vietnam i got bit i got bit by some bug like i went to the coochie tunnels when i was in um ho chi minh city and i, I woke up and I, I took a shower and i had purple spots all over me so i went to the doctor i went to go to the doctor and uh and he's like all right well where have you been and i was like i went to the coochie tunnels and he was like oh you got bit by a forest bug and i was like as opposed to what a city bug i was like what are you talking about what happened and he was like you're fine he wrote me a prescription hands it to me i go to the store to pick it up and it's benadryl I'm like okay great i already had that like <laughs> i know that i know this one <laughs> right and then a few days later i started like you know getting stomach ache I'm, I'm vomiting and we're like traveling on like these hot trains and motorbikes Bro. and we're flying over these like jungles and these tiny little planes. And we finally get to Hanoi and I, I like got to our hotel and I was so sick. I took my shirt off and I was covered in just hives, red bumps. And so like we go to the Senator McCain exhibit and I just couldn't do it. I almost passed out. So I was like, guys, I got to go back to the room. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing so good. I go back, the hotel concierge, he calls a taxi, sends me to the hospital. I go in and the doctor does blood work and i see the needle they're opening it out of a nice clean bag i'm feeling real comfortable i'm good we're good she does blood work i go into the office and she says you're too big for vietnam it's too hot here it's just too hot i was like forest bugs i'm too big for vietnam it's like what's going on <laughs> and like what i got out of it was like she says it's too hot here so i think this has this red rash i really felt like it was it was associated with heat started googling it's it like, like heat rash i had heat rash i figured that out and so we just started staying in like ac hotels whereas before we weren't we were spending like three dollars a night in like these crappy hostels not doing ac so we just started spending five dollars a night which is literally how much it cost it was two dollars more and uh the heat rash went away and i went on my merry way and the rest of the trip was great uh, when I got back from uh, from the trip, though, for a few months, I had those purple spots. I got a bunch of blood work done, tests. No one ever figured out what they were. They eventually went away. Yeah, I'm glad they went away. Yeah. So that's so, wild, dude. Have you for, before we get back to it? Have you written these stories down? No, nah, but you know they're on a podcast now somewhere. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, because because my, <laughs> my my brother my brother's done a lot of third world traveling. He has some absolutely incredible stories from his travels sure. and i have finally convinced him to like spend some time every day and write them down in detail sure. because they're going to be like it's going to be gold to look back on and yeah. just to have and just to have the fresh memories now that you're mentioning that i did i kept a travel journal amazing travel journal and i kept everything in it like all the receipts as i was going through the the dollars and all the country that i went through so yeah everything's Super written cool. down yeah well i'm glad it's on a podcast as well now it's on now it's on somebody's podcast yeah <laughs> this very yeah, one so actually. like to, to get back um to kind of like what happened in the last eight years so yeah 
after that, so yeah, so the the audition at the Ryan Center just didn't go well. Um, and I got real depressed from that, I'll tell you. And mm. then I had, I, I mentioned, I, um, I think I, I messaged, yeah, I messaged Stephen Lord at the time. I was like, what do I do? And he, and he was like, yeah, well, let's, um, let's audition for the ADOS program at Juilliard. And so I got to the finals of that program and the same, kind of similar thing happened. I just, I didn't get in. And, and I just kind of started thinking like, I don't know, is this really. Do you feel how- like you sang well for the Juilliard one? Cause I know you were out of shape for the Ryan center. I think I sang most things. Well, the, the thing that happened at that audition, they had me sing, I think it was like, it was either five or six arias, which just like never happened at that point to me. Like it's they were like, thick audition. <laughs> yeah, it was a big audition. I remember I had a friend who heard it um, backstage and he was like, dude, they, they just got like a whole recital out of you. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, they probably just didn't hear what something that they were looking for. And I think I knew I know what it was at this point, because at that time I had amazing coloratura. That was my thing. I leaned on having a really big voice and like really good, fast coloratura. That was my, that was always my niche in the rare, world. rare combo. Really? Yeah. A big voice with, with coloratura. And like, so that's all like in my, in that audition, like I sang Sorge and Fausta and I also sang Handel's Messiah, which are two of the same freaking aria. If you really, you know, one's English and one's an Italian. Yeah. And they were probably were like, all right. And I didn't do the Abendstern at that because it had gone poorly and they wanted to hear the Abendstern. They asked for it when I didn't have it. And I was like, yeah, sorry, I uh, I took it out because it needs to be reworked, and um and I ended up singing like some foray I think instead. I just they just didn't hear what they wanted to hear, you know. And so I don't know. You, you probably know that program. It's it's an intense program. It's, yeah, it's, it's tough to I get into. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, rightfully so. I I mean I didn't get in. Like had I um had I worked harder on it, I I definitely would have got in. I know I would have. Like I, I have. There's no doubt in my mind that I would have. I just yeah. I wasn't really like in that headspace at that time and so I, I i did a bunch of auditions that year i got in at um chautauqua they were gonna like actually build a big program around me and then uh, michigan opera theater offered me their like year-long young artist program and that was at the exact same time that i got an offer from university of hartford because um, okay. they had been following my career they saw me like on the cover of opera news i guess and from that point, they started following me because I was somewhat local. And I posted a Facebook post about my my a voice student that I had, and they immediately messaged me, and they were like, "Hey, we have a we have a great program here that we'd love to have you you know teach at." And so I did the audition, I got it, and so I had to pick between either doing Chautauqua and uh, Michigan Opera Theater, or starting my academia journey. And it was a hard decision, man, but I picked academia and I said, you know what, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to do academia and I'm going to take gigs in the summers and whenever I can, like in the winters. And that's what I've been doing. Um, Okay. 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 Yeah. That, That makes sense then that, that fills in, that fills in the gap. Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, like, was it, it's not, it's probably not the path most people would have taken. I think most people would have been like, yeah, we're going to ride this out and we're going to we're going to have the big opera career. But people who usually I find people who are good enough to take the shot at a big opera career, take it. Not everyone. I mean, Elizabeth Jarre is a great example. She was good enough and she was like, nah. And I'm she got way deeper. She got way deeper into it to hers than I did. Yes, I made this. I made I made this decision very early, I think, for most opera singers. Um. 
but I also, I think I was, I, I was, I'm going to be honest. I was really cocky at the time. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this singing thing or this, this teaching thing. And I'm, I'm going to get tons of gigs. It's just going to be easy. It's I'm going to, I can come and go as I please. And that's just not how it works. And as soon as I started teaching, like, I, I'm not going to say I got blacklisted, but I stopped getting hired from Opera Theater of St. Louis. Like I stopped hearing from them. And yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't hear from a lot of those, a, a lot of other companies I worked for either. I, they, I think they assumed like, yeah, Danny doesn't want to do this. He wants to teach, you know? And because companies can think if they're hiring someone who might go on to be the next big Met star, that looks really good for them. You know, that looks really good right. for the company. It's good for business. So if that person's no longer pursuing that journey, less incentive for them business-wise. Yep. Even if you're a great singer, which you are. Yeah. So, you know, it made sense that, you know, they, they did, they made their decision, you know, cause I made mine and now, uh, now I teach a lot. Like, I mean, at one point I had 46 students, um, while I was also like, I mean, I have gigged a, a little bit here and there, like Ricky Ian Gordon, he's a really good friend of mine. I love him. He, he gets me to do, you know, 27s when they pop up. Um, I do a lot of Beethoven's ninth. I do a lot of Mozart requiems. Um, yeah. Concert, the rest concert work, right? Yep. Symphonic concert. Um, yeah. Things like that. And then, and then 27, because, you know, not too many people know 27. He also hmm. wrote that role for me and it goes down to F sharp, no F2 and uh, B flat. Uh, what's the one right below, uh, right, right below high C. B flat. Four. Was it four? B flat four. It's got B flat four in it. Yeah. That is the an absurd is range. Yeah. So he didn't originally write the B flat four in, but I did it in rehearsal and, <laughs> and the whole place loved it. They were like, what was that? I was like, I don't know. What was that? And the pianist was, like oh, B flat, and just it was like, perfect. A base, Let's keep a, it. A base of the high B flat. That's absurd. <laughs> yeah, we kept it, and actually, it was like it was like scary because every night I was like, oh man, I got that B flat tonight. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to like you know fully connect it, yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, that that happened. That happened not in our first production. I think it was either our second or our third where we did that. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So oh, do yeah, you man, and that that, that, the whole, that whole thing was crazy. Like at some point, like. We just got to talk about how unbelievable Stephanie Blythe is. Like, oh, she was forget it, man. Unbelievable, man. It was like yeah. she stepped out on stage, and before she sang a note, people were already clapping. It was one of those things. It was like before she sings, the whole place is erupting. Just that's it. It was so that's cool. a star right there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So do you do you have any desire to get back to the opera world? Are you feeling really good? And what we're about to dive into everything that's been happening lately to you but do, right. you have any, do you have any desire to get back out there on on the main stage yeah all the time i all think about time. it all the time dude yeah i mean i feel like i'm almost like that football player that didn't pursue like the nfl like he had that dream and then he just didn't do it and then for the rest of his life he's like what would happen you know what i mean that ha I, I deal with that daily okay yeah daily okay. of course but I mean, like well, i'll tell well, you every time i sing I mean, I'm not necessarily singing in huge, huge places, but every time I sing, like when it's done, I mean, I have a big crowd around me, you know, and they all want to know, like, who are you? What, 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 like, what, like, why aren't you singing at the Met? I hear, I, well, I hear that the most. Why aren't you singing at the Met? I always hear that. And I, I, it honestly, like, I'm embarrassed when I, because how do I answer that question without making myself look like a fool? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, then yeah. getting, getting to the Met is, for most yeah. people, it's a journey and it's, it's, you know, it goes so far beyond being a great singer too. It's connections. Yeah. You and have to be perfect. I mean, you have to be 
so good from the get-go plus you have to be so motivated and driven throughout the whole process you can't take yep. a little break where you're like yeah i don't know if i want this right it has like, to be the one thing it has to be your one thing mm -hmm. that you're getting after for sure and I, is, i'll tell you one thing i have way too many things well dude that's where <laughs> I, that's yeah i think we're very similar in that way sure. which is why i want to i want to get behind the scenes of my life after this chat's over because I'm, sure. I'm really interested about bounce some ideas off you um, let's dive into you going absolutely astronomical on Instagram lately for the yeah. reasons. Dude, I have I have I don't know if I've ever seen a blow up this significant. And the great thing is, like I admire your singing so much. I've always thought you are just so talented in so many genres. And it's like, yay, someone who's really talented is blowing up. This is awesome that more people are hearing you. I mean, sure. what is it like to go? I mean, you said you know, what was it, four or six months ago, you had like, you, you know, you said your goal for the summer was to get 10,000 followers. And now you're at over 500,000. Mostly because yeah. of the, was it the, Val, the Valhalla calling? Is That's the one that's gone as like to the moon, right? Yeah, that well, that was, that was a month ago. Um, <laughs> see, four months ago, I think it was, it was June. Is that four months ago now? Yeah. So last June, Three, it was, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, all right. I had 5,000 at that point followers that had, had taken me, you know, years to, you know, those are people that I either know or pass along the way, like organically 5,000 followers. Um, so I was like, cause I had already blown up on TikTok, but I, I saw a lot of value on Instagram that I, I didn't think I was going to get from TikTok. And so I was like, how the heck do I get this going? And so I actually, you know, ebucks 19, yep. um, Nelson, I emailed him and asked him some advice and he was saying, dude, you gotta like get rid of your watermarks, your TikTok watermarks. And like, that was his big advice to me. It was like, when you're posting stuff, they got TikTok watermarks. And, um, I, I think it was him that said, it. I, I, I was picking everyone's brand. That's one thing about me. I'm a sponge. I pick everyone's brands. I reach out to everyone. If I message you, like, it's because I'm legitimately trying to pick your brain and gain a relationship there. I love I think it. That's, um, I think that's a really great way to be, to be open like that. And, and like sure. being open for, cause some people really try to go through life and not get help, but like we all need help and we all need guidance. Yeah. So it's really great to be that way, to be willing to absorb knowledge from other people. Yeah, man. What I've gained from Bobby, from Nelson, from Davide, um, from Eric Holloway, all those guys, like all those bases, even uh, David Michael Frank, he's another one that I've learned a ton from, um, I've just been a sponge. And uh, so what, what What I gathered was, I was like, I'm going to take this watermark off. I have lots of content from TikTok that had gone viral. Lots of it. And so I just, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post one video a day this week. And I'm going to get rid of that watermark. And so I posted it. And it, it, I remember I had a video get like 40,000 views or something. And I was really excited. I was like, nice, 40,000 views. That's crazy on, on here for me. Um, so then I posted another one tomorrow and I did a little better. And then I posted another one the next day. I did a little better. And I wasn't pulling out all the stops yet. I wasn't posting the real good ones from TikTok yet. I waited for a little more following. Um, and then um, Serena Bell, I don't know if you follow her. She she posted um, um, In the End by Linkin Park. I did a duet with her and that did really well. That got like half a million views or something. And I was like, all right, we're on to something. So then I started pulling out all the stops. Um, I posted, you know, the the Megan Trainer song, the um, uh, Gucci song. What is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Made you look. Made you look. I I posted that, which had had it got nine million views on TikTok, 
And that was like the first one that, that did well on Instagram. I think it got like maybe a million. And then I posted, you know, the Sam Smith unholy one that I think also got a million or something. And then, but the one that, that really took off was, um, it was a reaction video that queen of Vikings did of me singing, um, I don't want to know song. I can't remember the title of it. It has like a double low D in it. And her reaction, I think, is actually what what because it was my video next to her reaction, which isn't how she formatted it. Like I form I reformatted, I put my video in with it. And her reacting to me while wow, you could see me sing, I think was what made it so funny and appealing. And that that skyrocketed to two million. And then what I did was I actually made all those videos prior. I made them private and I reposted them because I looked at the analytics. And it said that only like 5,000 followers had seen this. And I have all these new followers now. So I was like, so these guys haven't seen this. So I reposted them and they took off, all of them. They all took off. And so then I just went back to the routine, posting my old TikToks and then sprinkling in some new ones. Like I did like a Paul Bunyan one that was kind of trending. And, you know, and I learned how to use my DAW a little better. Um, I started throwing in more harmonies. I, I learned how to actually do a little bit of the EQ. Um, you know, I've been picking brains with that too. And, uh, yeah, so it just kind of took off because of that really. Um, it's been a great outlet for me because it, it gets me, it gets me to use all the different voices that I, that I love. Like I've been doing the ice bath singing videos and those have been doing really well. Like, and my thing with the ice bath is I like to hit all the different genres in there, you know, the yodeling, the country, uh, the, I did like a Danny boy, like kind of a classical version of Danny boy. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's really what I, that that's what's been working for me. Does it feel real to you? Because sometimes the big numbers on Instagram can be really numbing, and it's like, what is three million people even like? It's too big for the human brain to really understand. That was always something I noticed. Like, I I didn't do TikTok very often. I had a couple of videos that did well. I've had a I've had a few videos do well on Instagram, and you see like million pop up, and you're like, I can't really like grasp how many people that is. So does it feel like you have half a million, over half a million people following your Instagram now? And TikTok, I think, is similar. What does I mean, that feel it, like? Does it feel like you have half a million people watching you? Or does it feel no different than when you had 5,000? I, I just say it doesn't feel any different. Like when I'm post, when I hit and post, it doesn't feel different. But it's mind boggling. I mean, what is, I don't even know what 500,000 people looks like. Like the Valhalla Calling video, because I posted that twice too in different formats. That has over, I think, 25 million views now. And it's like, how do I even picture that? Like Serena Bell just messaged me recently. It was like, dude, between our, our Valhalla calling like collab videos, we have over 50 million views on those. It was like, I can't fathom that. I mean, I what does that look like? <laughs> it's absolutely insane. Yeah, like the most people I've ever seen, I think, is at Gillette Stadium. I think that what do they hold like 60,000? I, I, yeah. Yeah. A thousand not, times that many people. Uh, it's nuts. It's <laughs> It's nuts, but I love it, man. I love my followers. Um, I'm hoping to work with them. Like, um, I'm, I, I am working with them. I'm working with them, you know, vocally, like, like I'm doing instruction with them and I absolutely love that. And yeah, I, I'm it's, it, yeah, it's been kind of mind boggling. Yeah. Do you see yourself always continuing to teach? Even if, Definitely. even if Definitely. all these things go even more astronomical, which they will, I assume. 100%. I love teaching. I love it. Awesome. I love seeing the light bulb turn on. I love passing on the knowledge. I, I told you I was my own voice teacher growing up. My philosophy is this. Because in the voice lesson, I think a lot of us and you might feel the same way we feel like we're so good in the voice lesson, 
we're getting it. We really get it. And then what happens when we leave? We're like, oh man, I wish my voice teacher was here. And my philosophy on this has been this. If I teach my students in that normal voice teacher way, they're going to feel that way. They do feel that way. And I've, I've slightly been changing it. And I've been teaching them more like of my, my approach. I teach them like the bag of tricks in a, in a little bit of a different way. And they're kind of turning into their own voice teacher and they're listening to each other sing. And they have like their own little hive mind going there. And they're able to see like, okay, so when he's talking about, you know, posture, breathing, you know, vowels, consonants, like he's talking about that because they can hear it's like masterclass type stuff. And, um, and I've noticed that if I teach them the tools they need, they come out of it as like almost their own voice teacher, they're problem solving. So when they're at home and they're always messaging me and they're like, yeah, so like, this is what it sounded like. I tried this and it sounded like this, you know what I mean? And now am I on the right? It's like, yeah, that's it. You just, you're your own voice teacher. You just did it. You just did it. You didn't need me. You didn't even need me for that. Right. And that's, that's my goal with teaching. Like it's so much fun watching the light bulb turn off. And I want, I, I want to do that with more people. Like I want to, I want to, I wish I could do that for all 500,000 of them. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, I love seeing the light bulb turn on. And I, I feel like because I taught myself so much of this and I've come up with so many of my own exercises and my own warmups. And when, when students come in, like they all have their own different warmups, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like I, I, I love that. It's creative. It's very creative. It fills that creative outlet outlet with my dog, Wyatt. Like I was thinking with that, it was like, if I can communicate with my dog, I could communicate with anyone. And I mean, have you seen some of the videos of him? He's incredible. He's no, I, ha I haven't. I haven't. I oh, need to check Wyatt. that out. We'll get him over here. <laughs> Come here, bud. Let's see. Can you see him on the screen? Yes. Oh, golden. Ready, white? He's pretty. Oh my. Can you shake? You spin. Sit. Back up. Get back. Get back. back oh up, my gosh. Up. Let's see him. Hold on. Let's close it. Stay. Go around. Go around. Go around. You take a bow. Bring. Bring. Hold. Bring, give, sit, stay, catch. Dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> that is amazing. So is that is that just like one tiny step at a time? Getting, yeah, getting, man, it's, to, oh my gosh. All right, so it's literally like singing. Think of it this way. It's one obstacle with a tactic to fixing it one step at a time, like with singing, it's usually related to breathing, posture, space, which I break down with vowels and, 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 um, and consonants. You know, a lot of people don't break it down the way, you know, the tongue and all that. But usually when there's an issue, assuming you have the right repertoire, like you can problem solve when you know those things. And with, with training a dog, it's the exact same way. Like when he can't catch the, the treat off his nose, because a lot of people have a tough time with that. I just problem solved it. I was like, okay, he can balance it and he can catch a treat when I throw it. So I'm going to balance one on his nose and I'm going to take another one. And I'm going to toss it to him and he's going to catch it. And what would happen was he would toss the one off his nose and catch the one that I caught. So then I took out the one that I'm tossing and I just pretended to toss. And then he saw the one come off his nose and he caught that one. And I was like, <laughs> he's got it. Like we just broke it down. We broke it down like that. You know, that was just an obstacle and then a tactic to fixing that obstacle. And I think that it's, it's similar with teaching people. Like, I mean, with a dog, the reward <laughs> is the treat. With people, the reward, you know, it's getting better at, you know, the high note or the riff or, you know, the resonance and the low notes, right? Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, my, my philosophy there has always been you do have to become your own teacher, just like you're saying, because, you know, in an average week, even in a program, you're going to have one hour with your voice teacher. And and most of the other hours of your training are going to be maybe with a coach, but more than likely, most of your training will be alone. And mm-hmm. if you can't figure out how to improve on your own in that setting, you just won't advance the ball fast enough. Yeah, man. And like when you have like, I mean, and if you if you're studying from someone who really knows what they're doing, like you're you're in such you have such an advantage. Like my voice teacher, Annie C, Michael Marat, was incredible. And he he was amazing too because he used to let me go on his lunch break. He'd be like, Yeah, come to my lunch and you know, I'll warm you up. And he taught me so much. Like, but he was he was teaching me in a way that was like, yeah, go home and work. And, and this is what you're going to do. Like, he really did kind of teach that way. Like, yeah. So we're lucky. We're lucky. We had like good ones. We had good ones. Clearly. Yeah. They set, us up. They set yeah. us up real well. Big time. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you, you, like you, like, I'm sure you have a few conductors that you met that you worked with mm-hmm. that changed the game for you. Like my, my undergraduate conductor, Dr. Perkins, he was like that for me, my coach back then. Like, I'm sure you have all the, the same, the same things for you. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. What we got to do, we got to ball that up, and we got to take it home. We got to figure out how to problem solve with it, right? That's, <laughs> yeah, that. that's right. Right. So, what does what does your vocal training look like? Are you are you actively practicing things day to day, working on stuff? Okay, tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep getting better at these subharmonics. Yeah, when did you start learning those? Because it seems like you've, I mean, at least the quality that you get in the recordings are are phenomenal. Yeah, they're inconsistent though. Um, mm-hmm. I'm the same way. I'm the exact yeah, same. Yeah, there's way. days where they're absolutely phenomenal, and then there's days where they're not. And I'm trying to figure out why. Like, <laughs> yeah. what tricky. did I eat last night? What did I do last night? What did I do the day before? What am I singing that's doing it? You know, I think a lot of it is the rep that I sing. When I was doing Beethoven's Ninth, I lost them. Yeah. They were gone. And for you, because you gig so much, you're going from like, and you're in rehearsals a lot. And like, I could imagine for you, it's even it's even harder to get down there because they don't seem to work for me when I'm doing. No, gigs. man, I, I I rarely work on techniques outside of opera. Yeah, I just do them for the for bass game recordings. But yeah, I'm working on um, subs, uh, rock, kind of like um, using the false folds a little bit. Um, awesome. Those don't those don't tickle my throat like a lot of people, but I haven't found the tone that I want to put out there yet. But we're, yeah, we're getting. I've also there. been working a little. Yeah, like the. That kind of shit. I've been doing that a little more lately just to kind of figure out that you, you really can like just target the false folds and the mm-hmm. true folds don't really take any heat from it, which is amazing. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just because I love that kind of singing I, and I want to learn like the gritty belting and all that stuff. But it's really tough when you have a tight opera schedule. Sure. So I'm so I'm just trying to do a little bit every day and just like start building that in. Dude, you've got so much going on. You've you've got the YouTube channel, like you, you're, you're still, you, you make content, you just did the stairwell um, album on Spotify, yeah, like, yeah. plus you're balancing a full blown opera career. Um, bro, it's busy. <laughs> you're, you're a savage, bro. I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> what are you at now on YouTube? Uh, one, I think 117. Yeah, you just got another 17,000 like that. Like it was like you just had yeah. it. It's moving. And I'm I'm really enjoying this interview series. I think that's going to be a key to a lot of growth in the, in the coming years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I listen to them. I love listening to your podcast. I think, yeah, they're, pretty, I I think listened, they're pretty solid. I haven't listened to all of them, but I've listened to Jeff Castellucci, uh, Charismatic Voice, Melinda, Lauren Paley, um, 
the the contra contrabass or um oh Glenn Glenn Miller, good Glenn Miller, um that guy amongst amongst I think some older ones too. Yeah, and then the, where I really I got introduced to your podcast when you reacted to Hoist the Colors. Yeah, and like you, you threw me so much praise, man. I was like, yeah, I like him, bro. You were ripping <laughs> the operatic high notes in there. Was I know, <laughs> I know, man. So so yeah, like um, so yeah, I would say like as far as like, getting into the opera and like and like where I'm at now, that balance, finding that balance. I, I don't really mind the balance I have now. It's really cool. I gig. I, I, I still gig. I still get to do some sweet gigs. Um, Beethoven's Nine is is awesome. And it's like, badass. yeah, I'm like, I feel really confident with that piece. Like, I feel real good about it. I think I could do that around the world if that opportunity presented itself and I could do it comfortably. Like, I wouldn't be super stressed about that. Um, you know, it, like, like I told you when I was younger, I used to work on boilers. Like I worked on boilers when I was in like ninth grade through high school into college. Like, like I, I, when I say work on boilers, like we were opening these boilers and they were massive. I had to punch the tubes with like this long rod with a, with a brush on it. And when you pull it out, just soot just covers you up. And it's like 300 degree boiler. Cause we had to heat it up for the soot to loosen up. And like, I used to do that every day over the summer. And then and there were some days where I had to do it before school and I'd be like late for school. Like I, I showed up for football practice once. I was covered in like black soot. It was, it was like, it was like this craziness. And like my way of looking at it is like, hey man, if I'm not like I love that job, but as long as like if I'm, I'm, I'm that's not this isn't so bad. It's like I'm not covered in 300 degrees soot right now. You know, like yeah, like my stepdad. My stepdad did that. Um, he he worked on boilers. That's how I got into it. He just retired. You know, he's in his he's deep into his 60s. I think he's like 65 or something. It's like man, he. He worked. He worked. Yeah. And my dad too. My dad, auto body. He worked. Like, you, you know. So like, this is. I, I'm really blessed to be able to do. It what can I'm be. Doing. It can be pretty cushy. What is? Um, how much time do you spend on making content? And I know you've recently. Well, I don't know if you made it recently, but you're. I know you're trying to pull more people to YouTube. Um. So you do a lot of a lot of short form content for the reels. I'm interested to know how much time you spend there and then what your plans for the YouTube channel are. Yeah. So making content for TikTok slash Instagram. I'm probably putting that's a tough one. Cause it's not like regimented. I haven't I don't have like a schedule that I'm putting it into. I'm kind of just doing it. You you like hear a song you like and that you want to make a mini cover of essentially and then you yeah. dive in. And a lot of times what I do is I just look up and see who's already started one and I do edit and I add layers to it. Yeah. I really like doing that because um, it's been working for me, but I also love the whole collaboration aspect of it. Also, if it does really well on my channel, every once in a while, it helps those people too. Like, especially if they're not a real big channel, I really like doing that. Um, but yeah, typically I'll, I'll, I'll have a song in my head and I'll just go to TikTok and I'll find who, who's already done it. And then I'll be like, all right, I'll throw a baseline on that. Or, or maybe it's, a, it's one that like Davide or eBucks have already done too that did well. And I'll just throw my own spin on it. And usually I spend like maybe a half hour to an hour on those, um, you know, kind of mixing and getting it right, playing with it. I'm probably spending more time on that now because I've been having fun with Logic and like learning reverb how like kind of how it works learning yeah. um bobby was just telling me about buses mm -hmm. last night and i was mm -hmm. like i don't know dude i don't know how to use those and he was like yeah, just youtube it i'm like all right i'll look into that yeah that's um, a that's a that's a level up for sure 
Yeah, I'm not at that level. I'm at the level where I record something and I use the pre-made voice, like reverb that they have on there. I specifically like the one that's titled Natural Voice. That's my, my go-to. And then I go up and I, I get the, uh, I hit the mix button and I get, what is it called? Um, I don't know, but, you know, the little dots that you can kind of play with and you can get like the reverb to turn up here and you can turn it down over here. It's yeah. like little dots. Oh, automation. 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 I've been playing with just the automation. So I don't know how to like isolate different frequencies and get them. Okay. I don't know how to do any of that. I got to YouTube all that. So yeah, I got, I have a lot to learn about that. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, whatever you're doing is working though. <laughs> sure. Sometimes I listen <laughs> Sometimes I listen to a song on Spotify though, and it's like that's just humming, just like humming, and I'm like, how the heck did they get that like that? Like the reverb and the echo sounds good. I try to do it, and it sounds terrible. Dude, like, oh god, no. We we so um for the bass gang's latest stuff, we have like one of like maybe the best like acapella mixer in the world. His name's Ed Boyer. He does stuff for oh yeah, all I've the heard, of heard of Ed Boyer. Mm-hmm. We yeah. just got our first first mix for Arabian Nights. I have, I can't even express to you the fuck it like i it it started and i just had full body chills and i was like what the fuck is happening this is the oh, craziest awesome. thing i've ever heard in my life and so it's like it's an amazing arrangement that marwan did and obviously it's cool because we get to it's us you know and then it's just, like i i can't even you can tell i'm like i'm like completely fumbling my words i can't even express how cool it is that this they'll yeah. they'll all be out by the time this interview comes out man but just like god as soon as the cp comes out man throw on some nice headphones and just like yeah. Bask in I will. It. Oh, I will, man. Ed Warriors mixing glory. <laughs> I just made my first demo for Bobby because we're doing a big collaboration with a lot awesome. of creators. And uh he was like, Yeah, so you're gonna do the demo. Um, and I was like, Oh, he just kind of tossed it out there. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> whole demo. <laughs> I did my first demo for him. I spent a whole day, like four hours out of the day, I'd say, half a day working on it. I listened to it. I didn't like the vibrato. So then I tossed it, I redid it, started over and got rid of all that and just did like the straight tone, got real picky about what I wanted. And I was so scared. I sent it over to him. I was like, I've never done a demo. What if Bobby doesn't like it? I got that imposter syndrome thing back. Mm-hmm. And he listened to it over a Zoom call. And afterwards I was like, yeah, so is it okay? And he's like, okay, dude, this is great. He's like, this is fantastic. And I was like, is he just saying that? And then I saw him yesterday at Melinda's concert. I was like, hey, be honest, how was that demo? And he was like, that was a phenomenal demo dude like you crushed it i was like nice like that's hell sick. yeah let's go that that's was so sick <laughs> like that's what i needed i need that i need that confidence right now with, with logic for sure 100 percent, amazing dude okay let's bounce over to to fitness for a for a bit um what what's your current fitness routine look like are you lifting often are you paying attention to to diet nutrition what's the whole what's the deal there all right this is how my day starts I get up, I hop in the ice bath for four minutes. I get on the bike. I get on the bike for 20, the um, spin bike. So immediately post, um, post ice bath. After my fasted cardio, I eat, I, I do a low carb diet because I just seem to function best that way. I've tried all diets, but I've been doing low carb since November and I've mentally been great. Like it's been helping me. So I'm sticking to that. Um, and then I typically will work on the computer on whatever it is I have to work on, whether it's through teaching content, whatever. And then I go to the gym for two hours, weightlifting, weight training. Uh, and I break that up into splits. It's on a rotating schedule. I'll do shoulders one day. I'll do back another day. 
bench day or ch- ch- chest, but I call it bench day. Mm-hmm. And then leg day. And they rotate. They're just ever rotating. I used to be like really competitive with powerlifting. I'm not anymore because I I, uh, I have a herniated disc and a bulging disc from mm-hmm. from my competitive lifting days. Um, so I'm not doing that anymore. I still bench fairly heavy. The heavy thing that I do is my overhead press because I got really strong shoulders. Um, okay. Like last week, I was doing eight by th- uh, eight sets of three with like three twenty five. Like in three twenty five. Yeah, pin press, shoulder press is my favorite. So like I set the pins. You set the depth that you want to go down to because I don't want to go too low because it's not good for the shoulder. Yeah, I kind of set it right around. Uh, it's a little higher. That's like right around here. They hit it. I pause and I go up. I was doing, you know, I do like, I usually like to go heavy on that. That is a uh, that's an absurd amount of weight for shoulders. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, we, we're rocking the we're rocking the shoulders. So <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> that's I, definitely that's I my wheelhouse. I noticed. That's my yeah. That's my wheelhouse <laughs> is definitely shoulders. Death star um, delts. I love it. <laughs> right. Yep. So yeah, that's that and um. Hmm. And then I do the sauna for one hour, twice a week. Okay. And it's usually, and I do those back-to-back days. Typically it's Tuesdays, Wednesdays, uh, before bed. It's like a nice, it's a nice wind down. You don't want to do that every day, um, for like, uh, hormonal reasons. But if you're really trying to balance a good hormone profile, which is very important to me as I get older, and I don't want to go on any like medication i don't want i don't want to ever have to worry about that stuff and if you do ice bath and then work out it boosts it it, well i don't even know if it boosts them but it regulate it it regulates them it it gets like healthy level and then obviously weightlifting does and then sauna does but supposedly only if you do it (laughs) in those types of increments like if i did that every night eventually it would lose its potency i guess i mean it's been working i love it i've lost about 70 pounds since November. Phenomenal. A lot yeah, you, of look, you definitely muscle. look leaner. Definitely look like you've leaned up. Oh, That's awesome. Thanks. A lot of it's muscle. I'm definitely not as jacked, but I don't really need to be. It's like, you know, who cares? Totally you feel know? you. Different priorities. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's all, everything's strategic though. Everything, again, it's, it goes back to everything. There's an obstacle, there's a tactic for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you have the ice bath you? and sauna in your house? No. Um, well, I have an ice bath here. I built one okay. Okay. out of a, I, so yeah, um, you've probably seen it on, on Instagram. It's, um, so I found a, ch- a six foot chest freezer on marketplace and I used a water weld on all the seams and I got it completely watertight and I bought a water filter for it and a self like chlorinating unit thing. Um, and I have it set to a timer. So the freezer turns on two to four hours a day, depending on how hot it's going to be. Okay. And the freezer creates the ice along the walls, kind of of the freezer. And so before I get in, I I, I break up the ice. Yeah, amazing. That's so cool. That's yeah, so cool. It's man. like full send, man. You got to full send that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. I'd love that because I like. I'll do. A, I'll do a really cold shower, but it's not the same mm-hmm. as as an ice bath. It all starts with just buying bags of ice and tossing them in the the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Buy a couple bags um, and try it out. My routine nowadays. It used to be really intense there there was a time when it was really really intense um now now it's the whole summer i was rehabbing a shoulder so i was doing like all body weight stuff um, amazing what you can maintain just doing body weight actually that was like really eye-opening for me um now i'm back to just doing for the moment because i'm about to do a really long slow bulk i want to okay. try to put on kind of as, as much muscle as i can without becoming a fat ass over the next like nine months or so 
right. eight or nine months. So we'll we'll see what happens there. So I'm in like a slight caloric surplus every day. Um, and I'll do two days lifting, one day off. I found okay. out that that more rest time is really good for me, really helps the growth. I noticed that also this past summer. So I'll do upper body day, lower body day, and then day off for now. Um, once my body kind of readjusts to lifting, because I'm kind of just now getting back into lifting after the summer, like resistance training, um, I'll probably shift to a little more specific split, like push-pull legs at least, or maybe even just like really smash like each body part once per week, maybe mm-hmm. something like that. And just like experiment and like see what, see what works best. And then diet, I always eat healthily, a lot of whole foods, lean meats. Um, and then I just aim right now. I'm just aiming for like a two to 300 calorie caloric surplus each day. And that's it. We're going nice. to see what happens. Yeah. You seem pretty dialed. It's pretty dialed. Yeah. Pretty dialed. <laughs> Which is good. That's nice. You're definitely, you're more dialed on diet than I am. My, my, I'm the lazy diet. I just say, yeah, low carb. It's just easy. <laughs> I don't have to worry about a whole well, lot as long. If there's not a lot of carbs in it, I'll eat it. Yeah. I mean, you got to do what works for you. And the other thing is, like, I will, I will relax the diet if if I'm going out with people. Like, I'm not gonna. Sure, you can do that. Hold, I, yeah, that's social, the thing that I can't social do. eating, social drinking. That's what I can't do because low carb is tough when you go out to eat. So I'm yeah. always getting chicken Caesar salad with no croutons pretty much every time I go out, <laughs> you know, like every time. Like I, I met uh, Johnny from the Wellerman last month. That's what I ordered. Are you guys like the same size? Because he's a big dude too. Yeah. Um, I, you're, I mean, you're I more I'm built. Little... You're more built like muscular wise. I'm thicker. Yeah, I'm thicker. Uh, we're both tall. I think give or take an inch. Yeah. yeah. It's so fun. I keep running into all these people in like this world that are like Tommy P is six six at least. He says he's six six. I think he's taller. Yeah. Bobby's like Bobby's like six one. Marwan's like mm-hmm. six feet. You're you're super tall. Johnny's super tall. Luke Taylor's yeah. super tall. Like we're all these fucking huge people. Like there's huge people in the opera world too. I'm like I'm I like thought, a little bit. You know, I thought Avi Kaplan was really tall. In his videos, I was like, "Yo, I think he's tall." And then when I went there to sing with him. I was like, oh, all right. He's he's not like one of them crazy tall dudes. Because you just assume with a deep, 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 deep voice. No, he's which, not. He's like pretty average height, right? I didn't. I mean, yeah, sure. But like, it, it's, it's like that Josh Turner effect. Because I had the same thing with him where I thought Josh Turner was going to be this big dude. And then I saw like pictures of him. I was like, oh, all right. He's yeah. He's kind of, yeah. He's He's got a nice normal look to him um, that I'm always like wicked envious of, to be honest. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm only I'm only five nine. I mean, I'm like I'm way smaller than all you guys. I'm just like a little muscle right. badger standing next to. I want to be quite honest. To... I have no clue how tall who's taller once it gets to like a certain height because <laughs> I know Bobby's tall, but then like once you get below like five ten or something, I I, I lose sight of it. I don't even, you know because I'm looking from a different <laughs> angle, and I know those people who are sometimes though I see someone who's way taller than me, and I'm like whoa, like. Tommy is Tommy is shockingly tall because he says he's six six, but a I think he's taller, and he wears his hair a certain way where it's like a solid two inches above. So he's yeah. just like, like what the hell? I don't know if you saw the pictures yeah. from us in Berno, but he I just did. towers over. He towers my over first, Bobby. My first thought when I saw those photos was, how tall is he? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I look fucking no, tiny. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a little shorter than the average American, but I'm not as tiny as I look in some of those pictures. Yeah. Do you have any um siblings? I do. I have one, one full blood brother, uh, who's 34, and uh, two younger half sisters. 
And are they roughly in your height? Um, my brother's, I think, about six feet. So he's okay. got me by he's got me by a few inches, mm-hmm. and I'm taller than my sisters, but they're like pretty average height. Yeah, I have I have like um well I have one brother, and then I have there's eleven grandchildren, so there's like eleven cousins, um, and I have everyone beat by quite a bit in height, definitely mm. in size. Um, like you'd think like we're all Vikings. Uh, we're really not like, like, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm the Viking. Um, and my brother's, I think he's like six foot. I think he's six feet tall. Um, I think he is. Yeah. Yeah. And then my dad's like five eleven. but yeah, I mean, my dad's, his side is the Viking side and, uh, there's not a whole lot of Vikings over there. That's the Brevik side. Interesting. Yeah. My mom's um, side is, I, I, Irish. I want to, I want to wind it back again. I just want to hear a little bit more about your experience with Avi and getting to getting to sing with him so that's just so that's so cool that was mind-boggling so yeah i i honestly i haven't been following obvi as long as you guys have um i didn't know he was the pentatonics bass when i first found him on tiktok that's i just knew he was i just knew he was a guy that was doing really well with his music on tiktok i found his music first and i loved it and i was like he saw his voice is amazing he's it's it's not just his voice, man. It's it's like it's everything. He he encompasses what I love about music. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. And I knew that from the get go. And I heard his I I I binged his albums, and I, I would listen to him over and over again at the gym, like all of them. I I really got into Avi. And then when he he posted that he was coming to Boston, I was like, I'm. I, I remember I talked to my wife that night, and I said, Jen, Avi Kaplan's coming to Boston. I'm gonna do at him. He's going to, he's going to notice and I'm going to meet him backstage. That's what I told her. I'm going to meet him backstage. Trust me. You watch. It's going to happen. Right. And so that night I do edit him. Like I put, po- all right. I, pro- I started working on it that night and then I kind of worked on it a little bit, a couple days. It was one of the first duets I put some work into. Posted it right when I posted it, he liked it. And then I got a notification. That he's following me. And then I got a notification. He put a comment on it and I immediately showed Jen. I was like, look at it. And in like, in the comments, like I had posted, I'm going to the, I'm going to his show. And he liked it. He's like, I'll see you there, brother, or something like that. And then I was in a lesson and um, my student was like looking through his backpack or something and bad habit, but I was on my phone when he was like doing that. Just second nature was like on there. And I was like, Ooh, I got a, I got a private message from Avi Kappa. I got to read it. So I read it and it was like, he says something like, dude, I loved your audition or um, I loved your duet. Uh, I didn't realize it was an audition. He had like an audition thing going to sing with him. And he was like, so here's a deal. Like I kind of had like this audition thing where people were going to come sing with me, but I've already, already picked someone. So would you be willing to sing with one other person? Like, would you come on? And I was like, yeah, it's a no brainer. I'll come. I mean, I'm going to be there anyways. I already have a ticket at that point. So yeah, he, he invited me like over TikTok messenger. I showed up, I met Bobby there. Actually, I got there a little before Bobby and, um, we're, we're at the theater. Uh, it's the um, Sinclair in Cambridge, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. I got there at three for like a 10 p.m. show because we were going to do a sound check. And dude, there were already a ton of people waiting, like waiting to see Avi, like on the steps of the Sinclair. And they, like there were total groupies. They had signs. And as soon as I pulled up, I got a great parking spot, which was rare in Cambridge. Parked the car. They all see me getting out of my car and they're like, that's him. That's the guy. And I'm like, I'm like, oh no, like well, these people know me. Like, this, wow, this is kind of cool. And they come over, like, you're the guy that, that won that competition. And I was like, yeah, I guess. Like, yeah. And uh, I got 
a private message from Avi. It was like, because, you know, I can't go into the theater, all these people there. It was like a ton of people. And um, he's like, yeah, you're going to go into the kitchen next door. We're going to have like a security guard, like escort you in or something. <laughs> like, we had to walk through like this kitchen, me and Bobby uh, and uh, Jay, Bobby's girlfriend. We all, we all went through the kitchen and in the back and, that, and we met, we met Avi and pretty much what we did was we just jammed in a bathroom outside the green room real quick. We made up our harmonies real quick. And like when I was in the green room, like singing with him, like that was what felt surreal. Like you talk about like the 500 K it's like that moment felt surreal. Like I was like, I'm in a bathroom right now singing with like this superstar that has like groupies. And this just happened kind of overnight. Like, this is crazy. Um, wow. Pinch me. Like this was crazy. Um, luckily I've had a lot of performance experience. So like the nerves don't, didn't really get to me, but like, had, had I not, that might've been a lot for me. That might, that might've been really hard, <laughs> really hard on me, but I didn't have a lot of performance experience. No kidding. And then we went out, we did our sound check. My issue with it was I was a little too loud. Um, so he had me like step way off the mic, um, mm -hmm. for blending purposes, just cause you know, like, um, I'm, I'm a little loud and we were yeah. sharing a mic. Um, that was like my issue with it and I'm not used to mics. So trying to like lean forward on the quieter spots and lean back, that was kind of a learning curve with this sound check, but yeah, man, it was a great experience. He's super nice. Um, you know, the way he left it, which made me really happy. I was like, Avi, this was so great. Like, I hope someday our paths cross again. He's like, I have no doubt they will. I was like, oh, that's nice. great. Nice. I, hope I hope you mean that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Very cool, man. Very cool. All right. We're going to dive into just a few uh, questions from, from Patreon, and then we'll wrap it up, and then I'm going to talk to you about my life. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, all right. So first question, this is obvious. Are the two of you ever likely going to collab and would it be musical or fitness? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I say both. Both. We're going to make a collab. It's going to be a gym song. It's going to be something you can jam out at the gym while you're smashing PRs. And our Hell video yeah. is going to be us smashing PRs. We're going to have a goofy, like a really goofy gym music video to go along with yeah. it. Yep. It's going to be obnoxiously bassy and operatic at the same time. Yep. <laughs> okay. This is um, this is from Emmanuel. This is the second question, and he's curious about your favorite opera singers growing up. I'd kind of be more interested to hear them. You know, once you kind of got into opera, who you're, who were the bases you were listening to? Yeah. So I mean, growing up, Pavarotti. But then once I started getting into, and, you know, that was just because that was the one I knew. You know, I would also throw Josh Groban in, in there too, which is like. Right. As if they're not, the same. <laughs> right. I did the, I did the um, same thing. Yeah. Right. Um, but Cheryl Milnes, Bryn Turfel, Greer Grimsley. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Samuel Ramey. My king. Um, yep. Robert Merrill. Uh, and, you know, those are like the baritones and the low voice. Yeah. Do you ever listen to Cieppi? Chesley yeah. Cieppi. Yep. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and um, I should yeah. I should also mention um, Dmitry Fortakovsky. Yeah. Yeah. Him too. Him too. So you've yeah. always labeled this is this is um, somewhat related to the question. Not really. You you always labeled bass baritone, I guess because you have because you have really great high notes, but you're very much a natural bass. I mean, like you could sing probably all the profundo rep in opera. It sounds like I could. But it depends on depends on what I'm doing after, because um, I sing like Cipo, which is like more dramaticy, like in the baritone. Right, baritone, yeah, yeah. It's um, it yeah, it, it would be tough to sing Cipo or something in that 
um, Tessitura after singing like a Zarastro or you know something really bassy. Yeah, but you could. So, I mean, you you would sing a great Zarastro though. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I probably. You're, you're, yeah. You're right. Definitely. I, I think. I mean, it sounds yeah, like you have really strong, resonant, low chest notes from everything I've heard. Yeah, but but sometimes I think I get tired down there if I'm down there for too long. Um, yeah. You know what I mean. I, I, yeah, that's always been a um, a question mark for me because, like, if you look at my aria package, I've got like Alecos Cavatina on there, yeah. I've got Cipo on there, right? Those are two different voice types. Yeah, um, baritone leaning for sure. Well, like Cipo definitely, and that's like very baritone rap. What? Which one? Cipo. Yeah, but Alecos like bassy. I mean, it doesn't go very high at all. I think yeah, the, the Cavatina it's 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 C to F. A lot of bass baritones sing it. Not very many basses sing it, but a lot okay. of bass baritones sing it. Okay. All right. Is, speed, that one. There's not an F in Aleko's Cavatina, though. Is Just there? for a hot second. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that is an F. All right. <laughs> Just Sorry. for a second. <laughs> You're right. There is an F in there. Good call. Uh, so, yeah, that. Yeah, bass baritone, and then, like, every once in a while, I can pop up to an A flat. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's the C quo high note, right? A flat? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And the best ever at that was Cheryl Mons. Dude, he had crazy high notes. Yeah. Crazy high yeah. notes. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, this is question number three. Is there an opera you really want to do but haven't? If so, which one and why? I'm sure there yeah. are some some of those big dramatic roles that you have to wait till you're 53 to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do I really want to do them? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you want to do Yeah, that's the good yeah. question, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> like like the Greer Grimsley roles, you know, the like Voton. Yeah, man. You would make a great Voton. You would make a great Voton. Yeah, I've heard, heard, heard that, you know, ever since I got really big and Viking-y looking. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and if you have a loud voice, I mean, you need to have a, a, a shockingly loud I would, voice I would to say, sing that role. I would say, for me, for my personality, uh, Leporello. Oh, good Leporello. I'm actually, I'm yeah. covering that here at Arizona in the spring. I'm doing Mazzetto and covering Leporello. Yeah, that's a great role. Yep. Yeah. Giovanni, Giovanni's more suited for me just based on like how I look and how I sound. But mm -hmm. like there, that role is full of great shows. That's just a great show. Yeah. Giovanni's oh, just yeah. a great show. Unreal. I, yeah. I mean, anything Mozart. I love Mozart. I also love Verity. Ver you know what? Put it on there. Verity Requiem. That one. Oh that's yeah, a dream. that's a dream. Yeah, Verdi's okay. also Verdi is my favorite composer. I've Ooh. started singing more Verdi lately. You know, getting older, thirty now. Um, yeah. Probably won't sing Verdi roles for a little while. Could sing them sooner in Europe because the houses are smaller over there. But right. Verdi, like singing like a Philip and Don Carlo or an Attila, or it's just it's the best. Yeah, it's just incredible music. Yeah, and start experimenting. You know, yeah. you got you to do that at some point, right? Yeah. Absolutely. All right, my guy. Any final words from you to the fans, the audience? Oh, man. The final word uh, to the fans. Jeez, it's crazy. Even really, whatever you want to um, say. Where can people find you? I'm sure they'll be familiar. Okay, where can you find me? Um, you can find me on Instagram, Big Brev. You can find me on TikTok, Big Brevik. Um, if you want to work with me, uh, sing with me, reach out. You know, I'll... I'll you know, if, if I'm not seeing your message, you know, just spam my comment section. I will eventually see it. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry if, if I don't see it. Um, 
yeah I just, i'll just i'll just say you know big love from big brev amazing dude it's been great talking to you and uh we'll get off the horn here all right my guy peace Oh,